Hello friends, this is Dr. Benjamin Smith. Welcome to Take Every Thought Captive, where we examine the 2,000-year-old Catholic intellectual tradition. Tonight, I'm joined uh, by Dr. Richard Bozzichelli, our lecturer in theology at Catholic Studies Academy. And tonight, we're going to talk about the vices or the um, seven deadly sins, or sometimes called the capital sins. Uh, we're going to, we decided that this would be a good topic um, to talk about, not just because we wanted to be moribund uh, or, or dreary, but because uh, we're in the season of Lent, and Lent is a time for um, you know, serious self-examination, a time for trying to purify our lives and to grow in holiness, and um, you know, reflection upon the um, maybe the uh, things like the vices and the nature of sin, or say the last things, is a very traditional thing to do uh, during uh, this season. Uh, as, as I say, as a way of, of trying to, to grow uh, in our, our virtue, grow in holiness, and uh, purify our lives. Um, these, are, uh, these points uh, are, um, these ideas, you know, that we talk about gluttony, lust, greed, these kinds of patterns uh, have been the source of a lot of important Christian reflection on morality and on how we should live. Sometimes they're posed as sort of the opposites of the virtues. So you can find in some books, you know, they'll have a chart where they'll have like the virtues on one side, the vices on the other, that sort of thing. Um, so this is something that, you know, th these ideas and reflection on these ideas is something that's very near and dear, right? I think uh, to, um, you know, Catholic theologians and uh, the tr moral tradition of the church. Uh, Rich, could you so tell us a little bit about the, the background of these these ideas, where they come from, uh, to, to some degree, kind of the, the provenance? Right. So we when we talk about the seven deadly sins, right, mm -hmm. where we're talking about a tradition on this theme mm -hmm. that um, that we trace back to Gregory the Great, right? So roughly, what, 600? Yeah, sure. and, um, now he's not he's actually not taking this he's not creating this out of whole cloth right, right. there's a there's already an extant tradition and in fact there's variation in it right mm -hmm. so um we have a case in in a patristic text that predates that predates um gregory mm -hmm. uh of it's the testament of reuben Right, okay. which is um which shows seven sins they're not mm. exactly the same ones but mm. uh but it shows seven seven sins gotcha uh and that is a sort of jewish christian patristic text okay i don't know the uh exact kind of you know date of that text mm -hmm. but mm -hmm. but it's pretty old gotcha um, but then you've got also traditions in Evagrius of Pontus and Cassian. Right. Right. So um, we're talking about people circa uh, the Council of Ephesus mm -hmm. and thereabouts, right? Sure, sure. So um, they've they've also got their own lists. Mm -hmm. They they kind of favor a list of eight. Mm -hmm. So um, why? I, I don't know, mm -hmm. right? I mean, distinctions are made, fine distinctions maybe between certain kinds of vices and Sure. Um, so it's interesting when you try to, when you think about what the lists have in common, I guess, mm -hmm. you know, and, and what yeah, yeah. they differ. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I think it's interesting, like you say, because there, there is some variety uh, mm -hmm. here, and it's interesting on like what parts of what 
different theologians pick up on, right? Yes. So Thomas picks up on parts of Gregory's organization, mm-hmm. not others, right? So Thomas likes to think of pride as not like one of the seven, but kind of as the root of them all, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and so he has, he sort of deploys them a little bit differently. I mean, you end up talking about most of the same things, I think, however, yeah. however you decide to organize them. Um, but, uh, uh, but yeah, Thomas kind of, picks up on part of Gregory's work where he kind of separate, Gregory kind of separates vanity and pride. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then I, I don't remember exactly how he organized it, but Thomas organizes it with kind of like seven plus one. So you get eight total, but one of them is kind of different than the others. Yeah. Uh, in terms yeah. of its priority. So the, yeah. The distinction between vanity and pride is not, um, is, is not new to Thomas, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, mm-hmm. we find that, we find that in other places. So, um, you know, you've got like, uh, in the Testament of, of Reuben, um, you've got uh, Ereskea, mm-hmm. which is like favor-seeking, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, in other words, what this is, is a, it's, a, it's a way of trying to kind of cast yourself, right, uh, in a favorable light. Mm-hmm. So it's similar to the idea of vainglory. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then you've got... Um, Huperefini, uh, which is what we normally translate uh, as pride, right? Which is kind of um, blowing oneself uh, out of proportion. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, that sounds that sounds right, yeah. Very cool, yeah, that's interesting. One of the things that I think it's interesting about this, uh, this approach to think about morality is it seems to me that it's um, fairly uh, inductive, right? Mm-hmm. That is... Like its basis doesn't seem to be, I mean, I think later authors kind of come up maybe with ways to try to exposit it systematically. But for the most part, it seems to me that really it's almost kind of like um, the informal fallacies in logic, right? Like Uh there's no no deep system to the informal fallacies of logic. They're just things that logicians have noticed over the centuries, right? They're Mm -hmm. like ways that humans commonly make mistakes when they're trying to reason. Uh, and I think that I think a little bit similar about these uh, these particular habits or patterns of sin, right? It's not so much that that we can you know maybe you could come up with a system, but it's it's really more about theologians and philosophers and moralists over the years noticing oh well these are the problem areas right uh, that human beings have. Well, so yeah, so there's now it's interesting you know that this tradition is developing. Um, in Christianity alongside of the doctrine of original sin, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, circa St. Augustine, right? Um, and surrounding, I think, you know, some of the same kinds of considerations. Uh, so if we think about the doctrine of original sin, right? Mm-hmm. And it's identifying some sort of common features of a post-Lepsarian world, right? Where right. we're all kind of born in some broken condition Mm-hmm. incapable of achieving righteousness before God, then, you know, even Augustine, argue, even Augustine notices, right, that baptism doesn't suddenly make everything <laughs> uh, better, uh-huh. right? Uh, but there are still lingering effects right. of fallenness, right? And mm-hmm. now we can identify a few in the purely material order, one of which sure. is that we get sick and we die, mm-hmm. right? But we can we can recognize numerous uh, effects also in spiritual order and in that nexus between matter and spirit. 
between mm -hmm. the body and the spirit and the moral in the moral order where we um you know we kind of interact with our physicality right and i think that these are some of the things that that these fathers are identifying mm -hmm. that makes sense yeah sure sure um yeah we've kind of rooted in the complexities uh that human beings are right mm -hmm. um yeah, the complexities of which we're both you know individual and social physical and spiritual um uh all of those sorts of things um good good well uh did you have any um sort of uh kind of general thoughts here about uh uh sort of the way you talk about the um the these these sins yeah. i tend to call them vices and i think that's mm -hmm. because most of my exposure to talking about them comes out of thomas and um that kind of tradition right so thomas tends to sort of appropriate this language to the these ideas to hit to the vices right mm -hmm. so it's the idea that there are we can just like we can develop good habits that dispose us to act well we can develop evil habits that dispose us to act in a way that's that's evil um, yeah and so I tend to call these the vices <laughs> when I talk yeah. about them in philosophy. So I'm not too far off, but but um, my approach theologically may be a little bit uh, different. Mm -hmm. So one thing is uh, there's a pastoral concern historically, right? Which, <clears throat> you know, I think we've talked about before. Cassian makes a point, right? That he says that human beings are, human beings are kind of plagued by these by these problems. Mm -hmm. But he says that, and I think rightly, obviously, not everyone in quite the same way, right? Mm -hmm. So that sure. there are some people for whom, for whom, um, you know, lust is sort of um, the foremost vice. And there are mm -hmm. some for whom, uh, for whom um, vanity, right, might be the, the foremost vice, right? right some right. for whom sloth might be the foremost vice. But but we all sort of have imprinted in us these kinds of vulnerabilities. Mm -hmm. And what it's would be the reason that we care, mm -hmm. right? Why do I want to study them? Well, I want to study them not so that I can point my finger at my friends and relatives and say, you, you know, slothful, whatever. But so that I could point my finger in the mirror, right? I right, think it's sure, really sure. at issue and and actually, when you think about the the you know the connection that mm -hmm. the development of of this tradition has with um, with the uh, the monastic uh, the monastic tradition, right? Sure, sure. We want to consider the fact that, particularly in the early church, right? Mm -hmm. The the monks were the primary spiritual fathers of of people. And so, you know, you can kind of imagine that um, their reflection is born of, first of all, their own, their, their sure. custody over themselves. And secondly, yeah, yeah. their responsibility in the spiritual guidance of those who seek direction from them. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an important point of emphasis for me, right? Sure, that, sure. that we want to understand these things so that we can understand where we Mm -hmm. ourselves are mm -hmm. most prone to sin sure the other thing that i would point to here is um i agree with you that these are vices but i think that they're a particularly uh interesting kind of vice mm. so 
in theology, of course, we distinguish between uh, natural virtues, which are acquired through sure. repetition of acts, which are within our power <clears throat> form, right, by, by the exercise of our nature. And on the other hand, theological or infused virtues, which come to us as a gift from God through our relationship with him. Mm -hmm. Right. So we don't develop those through the repetition of good acts, but we can strengthen them or allow them to atrophy mm -hmm. by acting appropriately uh, in cooperation with those virtues or not acting at all. Right. So um, in sort of a bizarre inversion, it seems to me that the seven deadly sins are natural vices, but they're not acquired. Mm -hmm. They're rather uh, part of us at birth, right? That we're, we're they're inborn vices, mm. if that kind of makes, if that mm -hmm. makes sense. Sure. And I think that, um, again, right, the thing is that you may not have a particularly pronounced issue with every one of these particular problems, right? Right, right. But certainly uh, a couple are probably areas that represent, um, you know, spiritual deficiencies, right? Sure. Yeah, I think that's probably true. I mean, I would tend to think of them as being something like, I mean, given the state of original sin, right? Mm -hmm. um, typical, maybe, uh, disorders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That kind of thing, right? So like, they're not maybe like say not everyone has the as has an equal problem with each one. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, <clears throat> but they are common enough that uh, that we find we find them distorting, you know, human life on a regular basis. Right. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, for sure. You know, and, but you know, one of the things that's true uh, about this, and I'm sure you've had this experience too, Rich, uh, in talking about these is that, uh, you know, one, one of my best answers to the question of like, why, why bother teaching these things mm -hmm. is that uh, I just know from experience now <laughs> that in fact, the, these, these are very fruitful to think about. Yeah, uh, uh, you know, I've never, I've never had the experience of teaching the section on the vices and people walking away with, I don't, I don't know what he's talking about. Almost everybody could be like, has one of these, even if it's not in themselves, maybe it's a, like a close family member or something, you know, uh, where it resonates where you're like, Oh yeah. Like I know what it's like to be wrathful or I yeah. know what it's like to be lustful or something like that. Uh -huh. and, and so, I mean, in a way, uh, to anyone who wants to say, I, I'm not sure if this is worth studying. I would say this is definitely one where you, you need to suspend your judgment <laughs> because mm -hmm. actually once you start going through it, this is why, like, uh, this is one of yeah. those ones where you just need to rely right. on the tradition, right? And just say, you know, actually, there's a really good point here. You just have to work through this and you'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's, one, it's actually probably one of the easiest proofs, mm -hmm. right, against the Enlightenment prejudice, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, right? That tradition sure. doesn't need to be relied upon. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Well, uh, Rich, let's uh, jump right in here. Uh, we talked about this a little bit before we started, and we said we'd kind of... Um, start with the cluster of uh, gluttony, lust, and greed. Uh -huh. um, and as, as you and I have talked about, there's not just one way of organizing these, but yeah. uh, one potential way or one way that some, some authors have organized them is to think about gluttony, lust, and greed as being 
the disordered affection or desire for good things, right? So yeah. gluttony being a disordered desire with respect to food or consumables in general, uh, mm -hmm. lust obviously being a disordered um, um, appetite for sexual activity and then greed as being disordered for material goods or material gains. So I don't know, any of those three, uh, you know, you could do I mean, a whole uh, podcast on. Uh, which one would you, would you like to start with there, uh, Rich? Well, I think, you know what, because, um, well, repeat the three again for me. Yeah, gluttony, I, lust, and greed. Yeah, gluttony, lust, and greed. So, um, how about, how about greed? Okay, Let's yeah. think about that. Mm -hmm. Uh, just because like we're, we're in Lent, I guess gluttony is perfectly fine too. Sure. But, um, but I'm thinking about greed, you know, there is this whole thing about, um, about almsgiving during Lent. And, mm -hmm. and one of the things that's interesting about greed, now greed has, has several different dimensions to it. Right. Sure. Cassian points out that there are three different ways to be greedy. Interesting. Okay. Right. So like one is that I find it difficult to part with my, with my stuff. Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, I'm, I'm tight fisted. Right. 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 The other is that having given, I want it back. <laughs> he points I regret having given, right? And I kind of want to acquire the thing back again. Uh, you're not, a, you're the uh, opposite of being and, a joyful giver. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. And, and the third one, the third one, which is what we usually think about with, with greed, is the desire to acquire that which I do not possess. So what do I think about greed? Yeah, yeah. Right. That might be uh, a good question because I teach on this stuff a lot. Right. So mm -hmm. um, the way I tend to think about these vices, right, is from a theological point of view, um, I'm concerned about what they disclose about our relationship with God. Right. Okay. So on the one hand, my own spiritual weakness. Yes. And areas where I need to guard against sin and temptation. But the. Um, but in particular, right, they also disclose something, some weakness in my relationship with God. Mm -hmm. It seems to me that, that the capital sin of greed discloses a certain lack of trust. Interesting. In God, yeah. Right. So the funny thing about greed, right, is that it's, it's not the same as a desire to enjoy the goods of wealth, right? Okay. It really has to do with having mm -hmm. the goods of wealth. I want to acquire things so as to possess and control them, mm -hmm. not necessarily so as to enjoy them. Mm -hmm. I'm afraid of something, right? I'm afraid that I'm afraid that providence will not, um, you know, will not like um, supply me what it is that I need, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm always concerned about the future, so. It was kind of extreme cases, right? It's one thing to sort of be a Boy Scout and, and be prepared. Mm -hmm. It's another thing, right, to uh, to be like a doomsday prepper. I mean, <laughs> I'm here somewhere. I'm not exactly sure where it is. It, uh -huh. I, I have 
to admit that I find fascinating the idea of building a bunker <laughs> with years worth of food. Sure. But it does strike me too that there's something like there's a line, right? Beyond right. which you mm -hmm. you're just showing that um, you don't believe that God will provide for you, and mm -hmm. and that you have to make looking after your yourself uh, your your number one priority. Sure. Does that make sure. sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think um, that's very good. And I think, uh, you know, um, the, the person who feels secure, who thinks, well, I just need this a little bit more and then I'll be secure. Right. Uh -huh. Then I'll, then I'll be self-sufficient. Right. Uh, that sort of thing. Um, you know, I, I'm pretty sure that one of the things that, you know, God wants to teach us is that we're not self-sufficient. Uh, we need to rely upon him. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so, um, you know, that kind of, uh, kind of acquiring attitude, right. Would be inimical to the kind of, uh, kind of humble dependence that you're, you're sort of highlighting mm -hmm. there. I think I'd want to kind of add a, a couple of notes here. So what you think about this, Rich, and this of course is from Thomas, where I know most of my, you know, my thoughts about this come from, but you know, he has this idea that it's a, it's a, uh, so it's a desire, a habitual desire, um, for more than I need for today or tomorrow in keeping with my state of life. Mm -hmm. Um, which I think that's a thoughtful description, at least trying to pin some aspects down. It's recognizing, yeah, that there's a certain amount of, yeah, you need to be prepared, you know, uh, for today and tomorrow. Uh, your needs, you know, you don't want to, you don't want to say, Oh, I'm going to trust in God and just spend all of your money. Right. <laughs> you know, like that's, that's, that, that's not, not what uh, anyone would advocate. Um, uh, but you know, you, a sort of moderate, a desire, a, a moderate desire for acquisition, right. Mm -hmm. We're primarily focused on, do I have enough for myself and my family according to my state of life? Right. Mm -hmm. uh, now I'm, it's really funny whenever I teach, whenever I've taught this in class, um, this question and questions about sex, right? <laughs> Get the strongest reaction, right? Especially yeah. when I start using words like enough, right? Yeah, right, exactly. Or, or need, because because I think this is this is very, and I think this is maybe one of the American problem. Yeah, the problem, right? Is like it's not just about oh, I can have enough and enjoy myself, right? Mm -hmm. it's, it's there's no such thing as enough. Almost right. Well, the the question is always, well, it's who's to determine that, right? Yeah, and right, they, yeah, and yeah, they immediately right. start assuming that you're talking about redistribution of wealth through some sort of socialist, sure, sure, political yeah, system, yeah. right? And um, and really, it's not the point that you're making at, at all. But mm -hmm. um, but but right. I mean, so but there is this idea, I think, in Christianity. I, I think there's there's no there's no way to escape it if you want to be authentic about your Christianity that. Mm -hmm that um you know the goods of this earth while to whatever extent are, are genuine goods right sure um well this is not our final this is not our our permanent home mm -hmm. right mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um and so it's sort of like you know that that comical uh, idea that we have of of the british That's you know where, where like they go they go on safari and they bring like wooden furniture, you know, these desks <laughs> right, and they set uh, them up in a tent and right, they have right. all the accoutrements of home mm -hmm. uh, in the middle of the African savanna. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, 
it's kind of like that from a Christian point of view to, to mm. sort of care too much, mm-hmm. right, about, um, about earthly wealth, right? Enough mm. means, I guess, um, well, again, going back to Thomas's phraseology, right? Enough has to do with me being able to fulfill my duty, right? Mm. Me being able to kind of um, respond to my vocation. Right as husband and father sure, um, sure. right and this kind of thing so sure. I, I don't i don't need to be concerned that i can like i shouldn't be upset or feel in any way deprived or mm-hmm. or um you know like i'm missing out on something if i if i can't have you know a big uh, boat that i can take out mm-hmm. onto the ocean Sure, sure. Right? Like right. maybe I know some guy who has one uh-huh. and it's kind of cool and fun uh-huh. if he invites me, yeah. but I don't right. need to feel like uh, I'm missing sure. out on something really life, uh, life, you know, defining of my existence or anything. Right, yeah. Uh, it's yeah, not I mean, my vocation, right? Yeah, I think, you know, for laymen in particular, right, um, you want to say that a certain amount of material decency right uh-huh. a certain amount of material comfort um and and even i would say a certain amount of material pleasure right is part of living well right uh in a, in a family and i think that's you know you can kind of inductively patch that together given sort of your experience and those around you um you know that ought, really ought to be enough for the christian right because mm-hmm. we have other more important things or even just sort of the decent person but but certainly the Christian, right, who has, you know, eternal goods uh, in front of him to pursue, right? right. So it's really a kind of in a certain way, like, where's your heart here? Like, right, exactly. yeah, yeah. Is, is your heart right. set on, like, getting the biggest house you possibly can, mm-hmm. right? Or is your heart like, okay, this is a good house. This is a comfortable house. It's secure. It's nice. We're good. Let's put, now, now, now let's, let's put all that extra energy into, um, you know, praying more, you know, or whatever it is, or, or, or going on a pilgrimage or, or something like that, you know, like, or it doesn't even have to be that spiritual. It could be something that's just wholesome. Uh, but the, uh, I think there's a tendency, right. To, to like feel as if bettering your life means only materially bettering your life. Right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And that, that's what I mean by the heart. Mm-hmm. Um, it's always, it's always fascinating to me when I hear people say they don't have time to pray uh, but they spend, you know, 90 minutes uh, uh, a day uh, doing physical exercise. Yeah. Yeah. You know, like, and I think physical exercise is important. Let me just say that. <laughs> I think it's a good thing. Um, but it's obviously not as important as other things, right? I think having a stable, good living uh, mm-hmm. is an important thing. It's uh, because well, it, of it, 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 it is, gets it you, but it's, it's in not as important. We have this phrase spiritual exercises, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. So, yeah. yeah. I mean, I would bet you, like, speaking of greed, I would mm. bet you any money that <laughs> <laughs> that the vast majority of people, right, uh, who have to choose sure. between spiritual exercises and physical right. exercises, choose physical exercises. I, I mean, I don't, mm. I don't know for sure. Yeah, right. I would bet. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So when we're, when we're thinking about greed, then Rich, would be say fair to say, like that this involves a kind of um, I like what you had about here attachment, um, an, an attachment to to more like to kind of an 
a kind of excess or luxury, right? Mm -hmm. um, that goes beyond what is a wholesome or virtuous comfort, something right, like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. So um... I think that, I think when my students would push me on this, I would say, "Well, look, there's a difference between the guy who's thinking about this and the guy who just thinks." I should get as much as I want, right? Or get as much as I can, right? I think, yeah. you know, those are two very different attitudes, right? The person who's thinking, you know, oh, maybe I need to put more of my energy now into, now that we have enough, you know, uh, maybe I need to put more energy just into having Sunday afternoons off and not doing anything, you know, except for hanging out with my family. Right, uh, right. You know, that sort of thing. Yeah. You know, I'm always fascinated by the words that are used actually to describe um these things right and in the in the greek tradition you have this word um philarguria right which which literally means uh, love and this is in that sense of sort of that affectionate love right between family members and friends right okay um uh the love of silver <laughs> literally the love of silver right usually it's translated love of money yeah um but it's it's um it's kind of funny if you say affection of for silver <laughs> right? yeah right <laughs> sounds weird <laughs> <laughs> but it, it but it goes to you know that thing about where your where your heart actually mm -hmm. is right mm -hmm. it's on all the the bling the shiny mm -hmm. um the coin right mm -hmm. and it's um rather than on uh all the things for which material mm -hmm. wealth uh, ought to be desired in an appropriate measure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I mean, if uh, uh, if I remember correctly, I mean, Scripture has a lot to actually say on 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 this matter about you know how much you love worldly goods, how much you love money. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, that you know you, you really can't serve God right. well, right? If you're also if your heart is devoted to accumulating stuff. I mean, I, I know people who don't go to church because they're too busy working. You know, and mm -hmm. if you, if, if you're, if it, if you're in that situation because you, you can't avoid it, that's one thing. Right. But if it's just because, you know, you need the biggest next house or you need the biggest, you need the next car, the, you know, the third car or, or you, you got to send your kid to yeah. ballet lessons. Right. 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 Then you get your priorities wrong. Your kid doesn't uh -huh. need to go to ballet lessons. Your kid needs to go to church. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? um, to be obvious there. Well, so, um, uh, so greed then, right, involves this kind of disordered uh, desire for, for gain, for wealth, uh, maybe an excessive attachment to material things. Uh, what about gluttony, uh, Rich? That seems to be one that's kind of kind of an odd man out because, you know, sometimes we think about it as sort of overeating, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, oddly enough, secular... The secular perspective kind of maybe sees this as a serious problem, right? Like yeah. overeating, drinking uh, extra large sodas, uh, things like that. Um, uh, but I would say within the Christian church, gluttony probably doesn't get a lot of uh, attention. It seems a little thing kind of, I mean, to be frank, it seems like overeating and being obsessed with wealth seem like just two different planes or something, you know? Uh -huh. Uh, uh, like is somebody really sinning because they like they like they had you know too many fries uh, at lunch you know versus the guy who's you know habitually addicted to gaining as much you know money as he can or something. Yeah. So again, going back to um, 
you know, my my thesis that that these various sins disclose something about our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Um, it's interesting, right? So the language in um, in the Greek tradition does associate gluttony with overeating, right? Like yeah. it's it's not a metaphor exactly, right? It's it's gastrimargia, uh, right? It's eating to the point of like stretching your stomach, mm. um, and and I but I think what we want to point out here is that we're we're talking about habitual things when mm. we're talking about the sin. We're not talking. So they're, if they're vices, they're not acts, sure, right? Sure. They're dispositions toward certain kinds of acts. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're, they're habitual by nature, right? Um, but, and I, I think it's important to point that out because you don't want to sort of um, turn feasting during a feast right, right, yeah. into a sin, right? You don't, yeah, you don't sure. want to do that. Right, right. Um, so, but let's look at what, what this, I, what this is, what's happening, right? Mm-hmm. So you have this, you have this sort of physical, this bodily need for uh, nourishment. Mm-hmm. And you're going sort of habitually way overboard with it and turning mm-hmm. it into um, a pleasure seeking vehicle, kind of as, as if it were a, a bonum honestum. Mm-hmm. Right. I, I think, and this is actually one of the, this is one of the issues that comes up, I think, repeatedly with, with the capital sins is that there's a mistake, right. Of some, some limited good, right. Some intermediate good, mm-hmm. um, something that we should desire for the sake of something else. Right. 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 We mistake it for a bonum on and, mm-hmm. and I, right. So, so th- keeping that in mind, right. Um, St. Augustine points out famously that God having made us for himself, right, Mm -hmm. implants within us as human beings a kind of space that only he can occupy. Right, right. Uh, The the unbounded one, the infinite one, uh, only he can fill this space. And so we have this sort of void, this infinite, unbounded void that can only be filled with the infinite and the unbounded. Right. And what we do is we turn to limited things, right? Sure. To limited goods right, right, and right. try to fill that void with those because we don't have God in our lives. I think that's mm-hmm. really the, mm-hmm. right. So, um, and I, and now for me, right. I, I don't think that, I think it'd be interesting to explore a little bit more, but I, I don't think, that the central sin here is just the tendency to feed myself too much. Okay. But it seems to me it's about consumption and absorption of stimulation and all sorts of Mm -hmm. things like that. Yeah, sure. Right. The guy who kind of can't, uh, can't ever be satisfied. There's a, in, in the, um, here's the word for it, uh, in the, uh, Testament of Reuben right? The word is um, aplastia. You can't be placated. Mm, yeah, sure. Right? So that, that seems to me actually can't be satisfied. to the point. Yeah. Right? yeah. I, I could never have enough stimulation, not enough sound, mm. not mm. enough uh, movement, right? Like I have to go to an amusement park all the time. Whatever right. it is, I have to always be taking something in. 
Right. Uh, yeah. Right. That's good. That's that, good. That's what it seems to me is the real issue. Yeah, it's interesting. So with the uh, you know with greed, you know you have really kind of the desire to possess things, right? Mm -hmm. To almost unlimited, well, yeah, uh, to an unlimited uh, an unlimited way, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, beyond need, it's such that it involves um, the neglect of higher goods, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and I think you could say something similar with respect to gluttony here. Uh, right. That, so you're, what you're emphasizing here is the idea of consumption, not so much possession, right? Um, but consumption. Uh, I, I like that. I think that's good uh, because it does get you away from just thinking that it's a matter of quantity, right? So, you know, like yeah. you have, like, uh, you tend to go a little overboard on the butter, right? Uh, you know, right? So it's not about that, right? Uh -huh. Seems to me, um, actually, um, see what you think about this, that uh, C.S. Lewis has a nice kind of take on this. Um, I think it's in um, Screw Take Letters, uh, where he talks about, you know, certainly it's possible to think of, uh, so that, you know, that, of course, that involves a conversation between two devils, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and the senior devil here says, well, of course, it's possible for a man to, to sin by excess. But he's like, that's not, he's like, we, we've done well by just getting people to focus on that, right? Mm -hmm. So maybe let's say, let's I'll give you the obvious example. Let's say you you knowingly destroy your health by your excessive consumption, right? Mm -hmm. I say I would say that you know notice I said destroy, right? You're not just not maximizing, right? Mm -hmm. but you actually negatively destroy. I think that would be a, a place you could say, okay, well there the excess is the problem, right? Like you're you're so determined to have that pleasure of consumption that you destroy mm. your health, right? But then the, he points out that, that really it's more about attachment to that kind of assumption, which actually could be very small quantities, yeah, right? right. Uh, and so it might actually be, it might be the person who can't be satisfied because they have, uh, Thomas talks about this, but Lewis brings out an excess of refinement, right? So yeah. the person who will who just can't be satisfied with anything that's not a gourmet meal or that's not prepared just in this perfect way, right? So you know, you imagine uh, Lewis brings out this point of a you know, imagine this tired waitress working hard at a mid-level restaurant, right? You order the food and it's not just perfectly like you want it, right? And so you raise a fuss and ruin her day and get her in trouble with her boss, you know, blah blah blah, yeah. you know, etc. The cooks. Right, we might say, you know what? Probably you you've got too much of an estimation here, uh, right? <laughs> of how important this is. You know, yeah, nice cooked meals, right? It's great, and you'd like it to be the way you'd like it. But at the end of the day, it's not as important to say charity or justice right, right. or friendship. Right? <laughs> you know, those are all things that are more more important. And if you're so attached to having it, you know, presented just this way, you know. Mm -hmm. uh, then, then, then you're you're putting something inferior above, right? Something that's actually superior. Right. Again, it comes down to that thing about mistaking something for a bona monestum, right? The, mm -hmm. the bona monestum is friendship. The bona monestum mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. harmony between um, between human beings, right? Right. Sure. And and in this example, the person is sacrificing it for the sake of of this this pleasure that they see. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, what uh, to ask uh, too much today. This uh, this has often sometimes led me to to think about the glutton as, um, this is gonna sound a little weird at first, but I'm getting the thing that's a little bit from Kierkegaard, but that the glutton is the aesthete, uh -huh. right? Right, that that it could be, you know, I mean, you could we could think about the glutton as just sort of like the grotesque, you know, uh, kind of vulgar person, but it could also be dressed up in really fine lace, 
right? Right. You know what I mean? Like it could be really like an over refinement. There's something. I remember. There's something wrong episode, about that, right? I remember an episode of the show Frasier. Okay. Where, where um, Frasier and his brother—I forget what his name was—Giles uh, or um, he—I uh, can't remember. Anyway, um, they 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 found out there was going to be some shipment of caviar, some special caviar. <laughs> and they plotted and undertook some sort of underhanded illegal venture. Right, to go get their hands on some of it. right, right. Yeah, so like imagine, so like, a, uh, Rich, you have very refined taste in cigars, right? But, you know, like if you were to come to my house and I have sort of a, maybe an inferior taste in cigars, I was to offer you a cigar, like, nah, I'm just... This is a too inferior, right? You know, like so. so point, you need to give up your refinement, right? Yeah. Well, Um, my station in life has forced me into that anyway. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the uh, um, but it is interesting, right? And I think there's a way in which the aesthetic can be very deceiving and very enticing, right? Uh There is a certain excellence to the aesthetic at at a a sort of low level. You know what I mean? Like, like there is something to the excellence of a perfectly prepared meal. I like to cook. And while I don't consider myself a gourmand at all, like I'm a good cook um, and I do enjoy the process, right? Uh, but it's, the, the, it could also become the case that I, I think refined cooking is really what makes my life great, right? That that's what makes my life good is, mm-hmm. I, is I have this perfect kind of aesthetic about food, or it could be something else. It could be wine, it could be cigars, it could be, you know, uh, something else that you consume. Right, so so you're arguing that actually, um, it's interesting actually, because it starts to push in the direction of noting points of overlap, right, mm-hmm. where, where certain vices intersect. Yeah, sure. Uh, because it, it, it sounds to me, right, that you're, you're suggesting that a kind of snobbery comes mm-hmm. into play, right, mm-hmm. um, at some point, in gluttony, gluttony sure. at least taken in a certain direction, right, um, tends to, to lead toward a certain kind of snobbery. Mm-hmm. But then we might say, well, um, the snobbery and, and pride, or mm-hmm. if you want to distinguish between pride and vainglory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, is that what we're talking about, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, where maybe the person who you know sort of has significant issues with both mm-hmm. gluttony and vainglory would mm-hmm. would tend to manifest it in that sure in that way right well you can see oh well, how about this you can see a vain person and a glutton becoming best friends right, right. <laughs> you right. know so like there's a kind of there is that i see what you said there is a uh, uh a connection there right yeah well I, I tend to think actually that lust and gluttony also often go together right mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Sure. Well, um, yeah, yeah. That's there, there is a traditional association between uh, between those. Um, what 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 is that that association? What's that connection between lust and gluttony? Mm-hmm. Well, on my on my definition, right, mm-hmm. um, of of gluttony, where it's about sort of filling, trying to fill this infinite void with some finite good. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a way that um, there is a way that sort of the sexual, the sexual object, right? Um, I mean, it obviously it, it's very stimulating, 
Mm-hmm. So if you're if it's if gluttony involves seeking stimulation, right? Mm-hmm. Then what better contender than um, than the sexual object, right? To stimulate. Mm-hmm. Uh, it involves <laughs> consumption, right? It involves. I mean, all these. Even if you think of the uh, the Greek word eros, mm-hmm. um, that sort of desirous love, the the love that desires to possess and consume, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. It it seems related, right? At least to this mm-hmm. idea. Mm-hmm. At least that's the way I tend to think of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there is some overlap between all three of these. When you think about greed having to do with possession, gluttony having to do with uh, consumption. It gets more complicated in some ways with lust because you have another human being, right? Uh, in a way, right? The, the, mm-hmm. There, right? And sort of like even the the object of your sin is uh, and of your disorder is more complicated, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, than than say we'll say if, just kind of comparing it to say uh, being an overly refined aesthete, right? Mm-hmm. I can kind of control that in a way maybe that's not as easy to control with lust, right? In the sense that like I can I can say, uh, I'm gonna make enough money, I'm gonna spend my money on getting just the perfect wine and nothing else. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, um, there's a way, I, whereas with the another person, it's, it does seem to be uh, uh, a little more complicated. Although I think that like you're pointing out in both, that, that in lust you do have, a sense of possession, a sense of consumption, right? Um, uh, there that, that has some approximation, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, to, to greed and uh, to gluttony. So if you think of, of lust, right, as a disordered then um, des, uh, desire for sex, right? Of course, that, that yeah, presupposes well, a, a, an ordered desire, right? right. Uh, and so, two notes of this disordered one would be that it has some sense of possession, like it's possessiveness or ownership, maybe something like that. Yeah. Uh, along with uh, consumption. Uh, how would you want to, what's the, what's the opposite? Cause in this case, it might be helpful to, to kind of know the opposite. Like what's a healthy, uh, a morally good, I should say, uh, virtuous sexual desire. I think, well, I mean, let's, let's, so let's take the easy answer to that, uh, okay. which would be, chastity right mm-hmm. um now chastity of course doesn't doesn't actually mean um sexlessness right it's not mm-hmm. the same as celibacy mm-hmm. um but it it's its definition really is loving it, it, in a way that's properly ordered mm-hmm. but let's look at it more closely right um carol Vitiwa defines lust kind of like this right and i think it it helps us to see things fairly clearly if we grant this definition of lust that lust is not the same as sexual desire right uh as such Mm -hmm. but rather it occurs when we place the sexual value of another person above the value that person possesses as person right so that may be kind of hard for most for people to understand it's very personalistic language right Mm -hmm. but we're saying that this person by virtue of his or her being this person right has a certain value for that reason uh that the someoneness of this person is is a thing to be cherished um but 
the lustful person brackets that personhood, right? Mm. That's not the most important aspect of this individual, but instead the sexual value, what this person is to me as a sexual object takes precedence mm-hmm. over who this person is, what that person's good is. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Sure. That's kind of the way Wojtyla talks yeah, about it. It seems like there's a kind of a, uh, that's what words in your mouth, but, but see, tell me if this is right, uh, a kind of a reductive move there. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Because yeah. we wouldn't, I mean, it would be, it could be accurate. Tell me what you think about this. You know, even in a, um, in a virtuous marriage, Right. That at one level you could describe each of the spouses as a sexual object to each other. Yeah. Right. I mean, I think you'd hope so in most, in most well, cases. I, mean, right? I think Wojtyla is is mm-hmm. uh, clear about that and comfortable mm-hmm. with saying it. Okay. Yeah. So it's not so much it's not so much being a sexual object as being reduced to only a sexual object. Is that is that correct? Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So the lustful person just ignores everything else about the person, right? Yeah. Right. It's 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 who this person is as a, it's what this person is as a sexual object that he mm-hmm. cares about, and mm-hmm. um, and that he will have that good, right? Mm-hmm. Um, at the cost of of all the other things, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So um, now, what would be the antidote? What would be the the um, the sort of the the contrary uh, virtue? Mm-hmm. I would say purity of heart. Mm-hmm. Right. This is where we see the we see the person as person. Right. The person as gift. Mm-hmm. Um, as as self giver. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, first. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of that, I think you see, you if you want to know what is person, what is, what does purity of heart look like, right? I think you can see it often in little children. Okay, so, um, you know, if a, a child will, like a toddler will, will kind of um, walk into the bathroom, right, while you're taking a shower or something, it'll just sort of blow the door open. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, there you are in your in your vulnerability, mm-hmm. and he, the child is just looking up at your face, and that's, he's not really, he just cares about who you are, right? He's just there to talk to you. Mm-hmm. That's what purity of heart mm-hmm. really looks like. Does that kind of make sense to you? Mm-hmm. You know, when children find um, adults in in situations, and maybe they're not about nakedness or whatever, but they're. They're just situations of vulnerability, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not—they're not concerned about that. Those 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 times when adults might be seen to be sort of deficient in some way. Maybe you're, mm-hmm. you're terribly sick, right? And you're in no sure, condition sure. to answer the door, but you know the child comes in the room and mm-hmm. and sees you like that, and he doesn't care. Right, right, right. About that. Yeah. yeah, I think I can see, I kind of see what you're getting at there. I think one maybe uh, de- deficiency there to me in that, that example, though, is that the, the child doesn't have sexual desire, right? Well, right. right. And, and it's innocence. It's easier for him. Yeah, it's innocence and it's purity there 
kind of rooted in that. Now that said, I do think, of course, you're supposed to try to achieve a kind of purity of heart. So what would that look like with, with someone who has sexual desire? Yeah. All right. So, so I think it looks something like this. Um, you would like, you can't help but recognize that another person has some kind of sexual value. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. But I think you would say, um, but not for me. Right. Mm -hmm. That there's a, there's a way of kind of bracketing it. And, um, And that, you know, you would fully understand Mm -hmm. why this woman's uh, husband Mm -hmm. was, you know, so taken with her or something. Mm -hmm. Why Mm -hmm. this young man wanted to marry that, Mm -hmm. that girl. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but you would say, but it's not for me. Mm -hmm. And I think that, I think that, you know, when you get into, when you get into the idea uh, in the scriptures, right, about lusting after a woman or looking at a woman with mm-hmm. lust in, in your eye, mm-hmm. one of the interesting things about the language there, I don't have the, the Greek open to me right here, but the um, interesting thing about the language there is that you, it connotes the desire to um, make one's own, right? So it's, mm-hmm. it's not simply attraction, right? Mm-hmm. But it's, it's a willing desire. It's, it's a desire to pursue and to acquire. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sure. I think it makes sense. Uh, even if maybe in your just imagination, right? Um, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, but still actively wanting that, right? Not just sort of like, oh, this person's attractive. Let me, uh, let me uh, kind of kind of spin out the example there you gave a little bit more and see what you think about this. It just struck me as you were talking. Uh, let's say that you're dating, right? And mm-hmm. obviously sexual attraction is part of dating, right? <laughs> you know, that's an obvious point, I hope. <laughs> the, um, uh, but let's say that you and say that a kind of, let's say a promising relationship, uh-huh. right? Uh, it might be the case that this, as you got to know the person, this would be, I, I think, uh, somebody with a pure heart, somebody who has a virtuous sexual desire. As you got to know the person, your attraction to that person increased. Yeah. Not because she was taking more clothes off or something like that, but just because you knew her better and you were more like, she was more interesting. To, like you liked her to begin with, you had an initial yeah. attraction, but as you got to know the person, she became more right attractive. Right. right? Does that make sense? The opposite yes. would be and like, I, I would argue that that's a good sign. That's right. Yeah. That that's happening. Right. Mm-hmm. That's a good sign. Mm-hmm. Um, what but it's also, of course, <laughs> an occasion of peril. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You gotta be careful. Yeah. But, yeah. um, but if we want to be pure in heart, Mm -hmm. Sure. I think the person would, the person would still say, but she is not my wife. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, I think the, I think the question one asks with respect to, with respect to, um, you know, sex before marriage, right. Mm -hmm. Is, is, well, why is she not your wife? Right? Mm-hmm. Why is she not your wife? There, 
there are a number of possible answers to that question, I suppose, right? But, but they, I think that posing that question discloses the, um, the value structure in play, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So here, the person has come pretty far, right? And he's, he's pretty, he's shown himself up to this point to be pretty pure at heart. Um, but is there a breaking point, right? Where, mm -hmm. where ultimately lust kind of takes over mm -hmm. and drives him to uh, grasp at that sexual value that he perceives at the expense of the personal value of this woman he claims to love, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so, right, sort of uh, takes her without giving himself, right? I mean, I think this is actually a, a really important uh, issue in our in the way that we tend to think about marriage, right? In, in mm -hmm. Christianity, that marriage sure. is mutual self gift. And a total self gift that can't be that can't be retracted, mm -hmm. right? Why right. has he not given himself? He wants to have, but he hasn't given himself. He hasn't surrendered himself completely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think that's a good. Um, that's a that's a good that's a good that's a good observation, uh, an important one, right? Uh, um, and, you know, I think ties into uh, a lot of what we would talk about in terms of like having the, the sort of rightly ordered uh, desire, right, uh, for that other person mm -hmm. uh, is something that um, respects that other person, lets that other person sort of exist, right, in their fullness as a person, right, uh, without mm -hmm. that sort of reductive move. Certainly marriage is a high safeguard of that, right? Um, yeah. Uh, uh, to be sure, um, uh and, and really a lot of the things that we think about sometimes maybe as being sort of stuffy, you know, from our contemporary perspective, like uh, traditional marriage or um, uh, say temperance with respect to, to eating or, or uh, being moderate, right. Trying to uh, follow a life of simplicity. Right. Mm -hmm. In a lot of ways, those are not, those on the surface don't seem attractive to our society, but maybe one of the things we need to think about is, that really lust and greed and gluttony are, are sources of destruction, right? Sources of decay. Yeah. And that these safeguards like marriage, like simplicity, like self-control, self-denial, that these things are actually put in there for our good, right? That is that they actually help us um, to, to flourish. Well, Rich, there's a lot to say there. Uh, I appreciate your insights. Um, a lot more probably to say uh, about all three uh, of these vices, but I think uh, you've given us some good things to think about. Uh, in terms of our reflection on our attitudes uh, in these areas as we're going through this time of Lent uh, and trying to, to grow in holiness. Uh, next time, we'll move on to look at some of the other uh, vices, uh, vices like vanity, wrath, envy, maybe even sloth if we get that far. Um, <laughs> but uh, in the meantime, uh, please uh, share this podcast with other people. Uh, subscribe uh, to our channel on YouTube. Like us on Facebook. And if you feel so moved and you'd like to go further, please subscribe to our classes. Um, our classes uh, in our classes, you'll get to hear more of Dr. Kelly's insights and, uh, into theology and, and some of my work on uh, philosophy. Uh, I, I do, we do really believe that it'll help you to uh, deepen your faith. Uh, but until next time, uh, God bless.